If you haven't caught them, uh, you can catch most of them on our podcast. Um, but you won't see the visual aids. So, you know, it's just a really good motivation to come to church. Because um, we've been having a lot of fun with visual aids and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll do some, a little bit more of that today. But what do I mean by Mythbusters? So it's the Mythbusters series, but it's specifically about challenging our worldview. Challenging worldview. That's what we're doing. The, um, and I've got this definition It'll, it'll be on the screen uh, in, in a moment, but the definition is, uh, and I brought, I brought some visuals along with me, is, uh, and, and let me read the definition, a worldview is a way of looking at the world, it's the lens through which we interpret all of our experience and through which we make our decisions. So our, our worldview is how we interpret the world uh, and it makes, helps us make our decisions uh, it, it, it colours in what we feel about stuff and how we see things. And so uh, you'll notice there's lots of different worldviews here uh, in this. As part of the reason I like this as an illustration is because there are. There's so many worldviews in the world. And the truth is Christ's worldview, the Christian worldview, is not actually very compatible with these other worldviews. It really stands separate. And if you hope... If you were there the first week, uh, in, the, in the form of a small recap, the first week what we did was we, we asked this question, um, can I be a Christian and live a normal life? Can I be a Christian and live a normal life? And the truth is, what we did is, and we used the illustration of oil and water, and the oil didn't mix with the water because of polarization. The science teacher yelled out from the fourth row. Um, fifth row um but and because oil and water don't mix and you can stir it and encourage them to mix but they just don't mix and what we discovered was our job as a christian if we're to pick up christ's worldview um we need to actually repent of the world's worldview we actually and i got a siphon i got a hose and i siphoned out the water from underneath the oil and then uh topped it back up with oil the oil representing god's worldview does that make sense? So that's what I'm challenging today. And today, where it challenges the right word for today. Um, uh, but l- let me get back. Last week, we talked about um, the, the myth we busted was, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. You've probably heard that from lots of people. Uh, I've done 23 years of ministry in Rockingham, and I heard it all the time. I can't walk into a church. The, ca- the roof will cave in. Have you ever heard that? I used to hear it all the time. Oh, I'm not worthy to go to the church. You guys are too nice and tidy. Um, and what we discovered as we explored last week, we discovered that that myth was actually based on a truth. It was a myth based on a truth. And the, and the truth is that actually, yeah, you're right. None of us are worthy. But that's the point. None of us are worthy. If you were worthy to get to heaven on your own, you, you don't need to be a Christian. None of us are worthy to be Christians. That's the point of being a Christian. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I need Jesus. I'm a, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner without Jesus and with Jesus a bit. Um, like, we need Jesus. That's, that's the point of being a Christian, is that we acknowledge that we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, and we need Jesus. And that is what following Jesus is all about. It's not about being tidy. It's not about you know, getting all your life sorted out before you come to him. In fact, it's a bit of a laughable thought. You can't tidy yourself up 
good enough to be acceptable to God. So stop trying and just go to God. And then he does a work in us and he tidies us up from the inside out. Maybe I shouldn't use that language, tidy up. But he transforms us from the inside out. The, the verse that we've been uh, using is Romans, Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the world. The truth is all of us grow up conformed to the world. We all grow up watching TV and listening to radio and, and nowadays all the, all the plethora of other options. But we've all been conformed to the world. And, but the, the word says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus works from inside of us out. And he, your character and your actions and your choices will kind of automatically clear up the closer you get to God. And I'm not saying there's no choice there on our behalf. Absolutely there is. Our choice is always we need to choose God's way over the world's way. We need to choose God's way over the world's way. So today, myth number three. I can customize my Christian beliefs based on what I think is true. Probably going to offend some people today. Okay. Uh, but please, uh, remember Jesus was, his word is not compatible with this world. It's an offensive word. If, if, if you love the world's worldview, um, Jesus is offensive. He was offensive to the religious leaders of their day. He was offensive to the culture, the, the Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture of the day. Um, we follow a God. who He's not scared. He's like, no, you're doing it the wrong way. My way's better. But he does it in such a gentle, humble, loving way as well. He's got this really interesting blend of, of bold and kind. And that's what I've been praying that God will help me with today. Uh, so let's pray and, uh, and pray that he can help uh, me speak of this really well too. So Lord, I just thank you that we can be here today. And Lord, we acknowledge that the world that we've grown up in is not right in so many ways. It is, it is uh, horrible in so many ways. But there are good bits as well. And, and Lord, we've all grown up in this world and there are bits that we love and there are bits that we, we really don't like. And as we've already discussed, we can't simply add you. As we choose to follow you, we re truly need to repent of following the world. Because can't, we can't follow both you and the world. You're going in the opposite direction. So Lord, help us choose to be followers of you. And today, as we confront some more worldviews, Lord, I pray for kindness. I pray for your goodness. I pray, I, I pray for humility. I pray for humility for me as I speak. Lord, I pray for humility for each of us as we, as we hear. And Lord, let it not be my voice or my agenda or my words uh, that, that stick. Lord, let, only let your voice for each person stick. Let my words kind of just, if they're not your words, just let them wash off like, you know, butter off Teflon. Like, um, but Lord, we want you 
to invite us to think the way that you think. And so, Lord, we pray for humility today uh, and teachability for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today, truth. I'm going to speak a lot about truth. And today's world, truth is customizable. Truth is custom-made today. <clears throat> That's true for you, but not for me. Have you heard that? Oh, that can be true for you, it's not for me. I feel that this is the truth. I believe this to be the truth. You can have your opinion, but my opinion, you know, just quietly is better than yours. That's what we mean. I'm not saying that to you, but that's what we mean when we say that. Oh, you can have your opinion, but I'm right. And we're happy to put it on social media and, and blast everyone who doesn't have the same opinion. The world's, the world's worldview has erased this old school, and if you're just listening to this on the podcast, I have my fingers up doing italics, old school thing called absolute truth. The, the current worldview has erased absolute truth. It's like, no, no, that's, that's an old thought. That is not true. Now, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Absolute truth is objective. I'll, I'll tell you what that means in a minute. The absolute truth is based, at least from our Christian perspective, is based on the Word of God. It's based on something that is outside of ourselves. It's based on God and, and His thoughts and His opinions and what He's written down in His book. And so, uh, but we live today in what's called the postmodern era. And the postmodern era, one, one of the markers of the postmodern era is that we've decided that objective truth isn't, isn't good anymore. Now we're into subjective truth. Now, I know I've got all the young people in here, so let me explain what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a definition here, sorry, postmodern philosophy, and then I'll tell you what objective and subjective means. Um, just down the bottom, postmodern philosophy questions are... Uh, sorry, the importance of power, relationships, personalization, blah, blah, blah. Many postmodernists appear to deny an objective reality exists. That's the bit I want to highlight. The postmodern world denies the objective reality exists. So what is objective, subjective? A really simplistic way to say it. Um, there's actually a little uh, cartoon that says it really well uh, on, on one of these screens. Subjective relates to personal viewpoints. My experience, my perspective. And if you have a look at that picture, those people are all looking at the one objective thing. That is a tree. It's, it's a tree. But one of them is seeing a tree. Another one is seeing apples, which is the fruit of a tree. The other one is seeing money, how much money they can make maybe from the apples that they're selling. And each of them are truths. They're subjective truths. And I'm not trying to tell you that they're wrong. But what I'm trying to say is the objective truth is actually it's a tree. So objective truth is data. It's factual data. Objective is the absolute truth. Does that make sense? Subjective is your thoughts and your opinions and what you bring. And objective is the plain uh, ob factual truth. Okay. Let me, let me illustrate it. I know you guys love illustrations. I've been getting lots of good feedback on my illustrations. So I brought, I actually built this yesterday. You know, because I don't have days off. All right. I haven't given him a name on purpose. But 
This is a This is this is going to represent Jesus today. Except Jesus really had arms and legs and stuff. Um, have you guys seen uh, and don't put your hand up because it's embarrassing. Uh, there's this old movie called Talladega Nights with Will Farrell. Do you guys know Will Farrell? Um, I'm not suggesting you go and watch this movie. It's a bit crass. Um, but I, I must confess I have seen it. And there's this particular scene, and I found it on YouTube, but I, I couldn't show it. Um, and, and they're praying around a table. So uh, in Talladega Nights, they're race drivers. He's a you know, V8 supercar, stock car race driver. Uh, Will Farrell's character and his buddies. Um, and they're actually praying, and they even say it. Uh, we're praying so that God will bless us to win tomorrow to add to his $21.2 million um, tally that he's earned for the year. And so that's the reason they're praying, uh, praying that we'll bless the food. And, but Will Farrell's character, he prays to baby Jesus. And is, he's like, dear baby Jesus, etc., etc. help us win tomorrow, bless this food. And his wife stops him and corrects him. He's like, you know Jesus grew up, right? He's like, yeah, but I like the baby Jesus better when I'm praying, I like to pray to the baby Jesus. When you pray, you pray to your Jesus. I'm going to pray to my Jesus. And so he goes on. Dear small infant baby Jesus, eight pounds, eight, eight pounds six ounces, who can't even speak yet, Jesus. Um, it's just dumb. Like it's, it's a bit offensive. And then, and then his buddy speaks up and he said, Ah, oh, when I like to think of Jesus, I like to imagine him in a tuxedo T-shirt. I don't, they're not very popular here, thank God. But it's just a T-shirt, but it's got the picture of a tuxedo on it. And, and his perspective is, because um, it's like formal, and yet I'm ready to party. And so he's like, and I like to party. So I like to think of Jesus wearing a tuxedo T-shirt, because I like to party. And then his son pipes up. He was like, oh, I like to imagine Jesus as a ninja samurai. Now, those two things are from totally different countries, but that doesn't, that's, truth is irrelevant in this discussion. I like to think of Jesus as a ninja samurai because that way he can beat up all the bad guys. And uh, the whole thing, it just gets worse from there. Um, but this is an illustration. I'm bringing this up because it's, it, it's a really embarrassing look at our subjective truth, even when it comes to Christianity. And the truth is we're not immune from this. Can you guys all see this? We're not immune from this because um, we often have our own version of Jesus too. And are you guys familiar with this? That is Leonardo da Vinci's uh, portrayal of what he thought Jesus looked like. Uh, an insipid, European, white-looking Jesus, quite feminine as well. If I say, if I can say that, uh, <clears throat> we have put this onto Jesus, mostly because of there were no photos back then, and the artists were actually the the first kind of picture of what they thought Jesus looked like, and they drew him as they were. We put ourselves onto Jesus. Leonardo da Vinci was European, and he drew a European-looking Jesus. But then we go further. Nowadays, there's a whole heap of people that like to think of Jesus 
is, is actually a bit more like Superman than he was a human. Because he, was, he did all this incredible stuff and oh, I can't do that. So if I make Jesus superhuman, uh, then I don't have to, I don't have to you know, try and copy him. I don't, have, I don't have to follow him that closely. He was Superman. And superheroes are really famous nowadays. Sorry, Jesus, I'll get your beard out of there. But we don't stop there either. That now, now we bring it down to our individual self and we kind of say, um, oh, Jesus, is, he's, he must like all the things that I like, you know, because he's my Jesus. He's subjective. So clearly he's a Fremantle supporter. Um, and so we, and then, and then we start praying when our team is playing, you know, in the derby or whatever. Um, when our teams are playing each other, we're like, oh, Jesus, be with my team. As if Jesus would agree with us thoroughly that, I mean, obviously the truth is Jesus loves people and there are people playing on the other teams. He, he wouldn't choose a team. Uh, the other truth is he lived 2,000 years ago and they hadn't invented a ball yet. Um, so, well, not that I know of. They're definitely not AFL. So, um, we... Uh, this is a, just a dumb illustration for me to, to say we are guilty of putting ourselves onto Jesus. But the truth, the objective truth is Jesus was a real man who lived in real time. He said real things. He impacted the real world. And, uh, and I've actually got a, a picture. If you show the next one, this is a picture, obviously not of Jesus, because there were no cameras back then. And the, 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 the drawings, the oldest drawings are very, you know, we can't really tell. But this, back in 2001, is a guy named uh, Richard Neve. He was a British expert in forensic facial reconstruction. And he used modern science to recreate the face of a random first century Judean man. So he's not saying this is Jesus. He's saying Jesus would have looked more like this. He would have had that darker skin color. He probably would have had that dark hair. Like that's what the average Judean man looked like. And I find... Now, nowadays... You know, we're actually, a lot of us are up with this science. A lot of us realize Jesus was not a white guy with blue eyes. There are other paintings of him with blue eyes. And, like, he's not that insipid, you know, feminine-looking Jesus that is actually often portrayed in art. He's actually a real guy who lived in Judea. He was a Judean man, and he lived 2,000 years ago. And the next one, um, the next slide, if you go to it, it actually shows some of the, the clothes that they wore back then. So that'll help you kind of round out. That's actually objectively the truth of what Jesus would have looked like. Something more like that. So the truth is, it doesn't matter what you think about something. There's a truth. And it's kind of irrelevant what you think. The truth is the truth. You don't get to choose the truth. We love to pigeonhole people into categories. I think we love to pigeonhole people into categories because uh, it helps us either accept or reject them quicker. Be more efficient. Oh, what church do you go to? Oh, 
you're a Baptist. Oh, have you, have you had that face before? And, and you're like, okay, I actually don't know what you mean by that. Because the truth is it depends on where they go to church or where, what ch- end of church they're from as to what they mean by that. So if they're from the more Pentecostal, charismatic end of church, they might be looking at us going, oh, you're a Baptist. Oh, you're, you're probably very conservative. Whereas if you're on the other end of Christianity, you know, that more reformed, conservative end, uh, then you might look at a Baptist and kind of go, oh, you're, that, you're a Baptist. You're not conservative enough. The truth is, uh, when people ask me, oh, you're, you're a Baptist, I'll say, no, I'm not a Baptist. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Baptist. I serve at a Baptist church, but I'm, I'm not a Baptist. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I believe in the Word of God, and I, I'm, I deeply value the Word of God. I believe in the Spirit of God. And... And he, I believe he's alive and he's active today. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are alive and active today. And I deeply love God. And, this, and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying that that's... And you know what? The other truth is, it doesn't matter what other people think. Because I'm going to stand before him one day. And it's only his opinion that is going to matter on Judgment Day. On Judgment Day, it doesn't matter what church you went to or what color you thought Jesus' face was. None of that stuff is going to matter. You're going to stand before the almighty creator of heaven and earth and probably face down because you'll be in awe of, oh my gosh, he's actually standing right in front of me. And, and we'll be judged. And it won't be on you know, your opinions and you won't get to say, oh, but I thought this was the truth. That's not going to matter. The truth is, he, his truth will be judged against his thoughts. And the other truth is, we, look, we can do our best our, every day of our life to try and figure out what his truth is. It doesn't mean we're going to get the whole picture, does it? This is where we need to be humble. We need to have humility. We, oh my gosh, because like I said, we're going to stand before him one day. And my beliefs, the, the only, the, probably the biggest question we need to know with our beliefs is did they lead me to Jesus or did they lead me away from Jesus? Okay, so as we challenge our worldviews, and I'm going to say some confronting things in a minute, but whatever your belief is, is it leading you to Jesus or away from him? That's the big question. And like I said, we need to be humble and we need to be teachable. I think teachable is an expression of being humble. So Romans 12.2 is where we've been um, hanging out. That, and Romans 12.2 is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Excuse me. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Romans 12.3, the very next verse, is, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. We have to be teachable. We need to be sober when we think of our thoughts and ourselves and our beliefs. We need to be balanced. 
Psalms 25 says, He guides the humble in what is right, and He teaches them His ways. That's, what we're, that's our prayer. That's what we want. We want God to look at us as in humility, in our humility, and teach us His ways. Okay? That's, that's what this whole sermon series is about. So I'm going to consider this myth busted. Uh, we cannot customize Christian beliefs based on what I think is true. Somebody keeps on trying to ring me. Go away. Sorry if that was your mum. It wasn't mine. (laughs) We don't get to customize our beliefs. Is that okay to say? Do we agree? Because now I'm going to shake it up. I'm going to tackle a couple of um, common beliefs uh, in the world today that is actually really confusing the church. And in fact, in different places in Australia and around the world, it's even splitting the church. Okay? And the much more comfortable thing for a pastor is to ignore these things and talk about other stuff because there's plenty of stuff to talk about. But I'm a little bit sick of the church doing that. Okay, so I'm going to go there. The first one I want to tackle is my gender is flexible based on how I feel. My gender is flexible based on how I feel. Now, if your worldview says that there is no absolute truth, if your worldview is the world's worldview, which is subjective, actually what I think is the truth, what I feel is the truth, my experience is the truth, then there's actually nothing wrong with this. In fact, this perfectly lines up with that worldview. Of course, you can get to choose your gender because it's all totally based on your thoughts, your feelings, your worldview. Is that okay to say? Like, that's, that's true. And that's the position of the world. And they're actually starting to make laws and all that kind of stuff from that perspective. There's no absolute truth. We've already dismissed God as an option. Uh, so, and because there's no absolute truth and we get to make our own truth, then why, why, why couldn't people do it? In fact, the average Aussie would, suggest, would say, um, I don't care what you do in your home, just don't bring it to mine. Does that resonate with anyone? Like, and, and th- so there's a, um, there's a, yeah. So, and so that's my first statement. If, if you don't believe in God, then you don't need to line up with God's values. Simple as that. And probably our posture needs to be one of, well, let's stop whacking them with our Bible because we believe that this is truth. And, and without, they actually need to meet Jesus. Jesus covers sin. Does that make sense? They need to meet Jesus before they need to bring their, their, their actions in line with, with God. But if the Bible is absolutely true, then we should listen to it. Now, this is what the Bible says. I'm not going to go through a heap of scripture because I'm, I'm going to move fairly quickly. Um, but this is what the Bible says about gender. We're, ma- we're made male and female on purpose and for purpose. Yeah? We actually talked a lot about this a few months ago. We were created in God's image and made to reflect his image. Not completely, but 
We are made in his image and, f- and we reflect his image. To get- and that's together, male and female. Not just males, not just females. Together. Uh, we were wonderfully designed to partner together and to complement one another. That's the Bible's perspective on gender. We were made wonderfully and complementary to each other. We were created to be family and to create family. We're created to be family and with God in, in that family and to make family. God's view of masculinity and femininity, femininity is beautiful. He thinks that we are beautiful, just as we are. He's got a really high view of men and women. He has a wonderful plan and desire for your life and your gender is part of that. Because it's part of you. It's how he made you. So the objective truth here is that we don't get to decide our gender. You were intentionally designed like that. And we don't need to be confused by that. Does that make sense? So we were designed by God. On purpose, with purpose, for purpose. And he thinks it was great. In fact, after he made men and women, he said it was the first time he used the word very. It was very good. Fantastic. So God's got a really high view of gender. Now, it kind of flows into the next one, and that is my sexuality is flexible based on how I feel. Okay? My sexuality is based on how I feel. And uh, I just want to say, like, it's, it's actually the same as before. Um, if, if there is no absolute truth, then this, that statement's true. Okay? But if there is absolute truth, if the Bible is speaking the truth, then what it says is, actually... It's funny, this world has separated gender and sexuality. Have you noticed that? It's, they're two totally different issues now. I remember being really confused by that some years ago, going, what? I, I thought they were the same thing. No, no, apparently, nowadays they're separate things. Your gender and your sexuality, two totally different issues. But the Bible doesn't see it like that. The Bible doesn't see these as two separate things. The world has turned our sexuality into part of our identity. Okay, this is who you are. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't treat it as part of your identity. The Bible just treats it as a choice. Our world has way over-exaggerated, over-exaggerated uh, everything sexual. Like, you don't have to watch very much TV before you see that. It's really hard to even walk through a shopping centre without, you know, images of, you know, I, I won't spell it out. Is that okay to say? We live in an over-sexualised over world and part of the outcome of that is that we now consider that part of our identity. But the Bible, um, okay, this is how the Bible views uh, everything sexual. And that is, it, it is beautiful and it belongs in the covenant of biblical marriage. It is a gift. It was a gift to bring husband and wife together. And secondary that was, was uh, to have children. 
But actually, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I heard a preacher say, you don't spell sex S-E-S-I-N. Uh, it's not a sin. It's actually a wonderful and beautiful gift from God in the right context. And basically, when the Bible talks about this, this subject, everything, everything, everything sexual outside of the covenant of marriage, he calls sin. All of it. And he doesn't really, I mean, yeah, he lists it, but he doesn't call one of them worse or higher than the other. So, let me just say it. Um, de facto relationships. So that simply means living as a married couple without actually getting married. Uh, sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality. Porn addiction. Lust. Bestiality. And the list goes on. All of that stuff fits into this big bucket category called sexual sin. Okay? Because they're choices. They're choices that we make. It's not part of who you are. They're just part of the choices that we make. And it all belongs to that sexual sin bucket. Because all of it is opposed to God's design. And that was uh, to be a wonderful gift inside of the covenant of marriage. Now, I need to make something clear. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation to do any of these things is not a sin. Jesus himself was tempted and he, he was sin free. And I just need to say that out loud because so many, I've been working with the young people for a long time and so many people think, oh, I have these thoughts or I have these temptations. Uh, they haven't sinned yet. Because remember, the Bible thinks about this stuff as a choice. It's the choice to act. It's the choice to do something. The temptation isn't the sin. And like I said, there was a big long list of, of all that, of what we could be tempted towards. Uh, so when, let me just say that when you're tempted into any of this sexual sin, then we've really got, well, three, three options. Uh, the first option is just to give in and do it. That's the world's way of doing it. In fact, the world encourages you to do that. The world encourages you to do, how do you know if you haven't tried it? That's one of the biggest lies that actually so many people fall for nowadays. If you haven't tried it, how do you know? Don't be judgmental. Try before you buy. Okay, the second option is um, that you can go it on your own. You can try and resist this. Let's say you've, you know and you recognize and you believe, yep, this is sin, but, uh, but you can try and do it in your own strength. And inevitably, uh, most people fail and then feel shame and then keep it a secret and hide it. The third option is that you confess your temptation to God and you ask him for help. God has sent us the Holy Spirit and one of his labels is helper. He's actually sent us a helper from heaven who's perfectly qualified to help us resist temptation. Are you with me? He's perfectly qualified to help us resist temptation. What we need to do in that situation is lay it down at God's feet 
and to say, this is real. I'm confessing it. It's probably helpful to tell someone that you trust as well and, and, and let them pray with you. And you lay it down and say, God, I need your help. I need your help. Please take this from me. All of us wrestle with temptation. Every single one of us. None of you, none of you young people look at me and think that I've never wrestled with temptation. All right? Because it's so not true. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us should feel shame, especially at the idea of temptation. Because, like I said, everyone's tempted. What will, what, the important bit is what do we do with it? What do we do with our temptation? We need to lay it down to God. <sighs> okay, I'm going to do it. I've got this third bucket, and it's a really, really big discussion. And if you'd like me to unpack it more in a future series, I will. And I was half ready to chuck it in the bin and maybe tackle it next week. Uh, but I think we have time. Yeah. Okay. This third thing I want to tackle is I get to choose whether God created or he didn't. I heard some smiles. Some of you have loud smiles. It's good. I know this is a really divisive topic. Uh, I do. And, uh, and like I said, I'm going to try and try not to sell you my thought uh, as much as, as just try and elevate what the Bible says. Okay? That's, that's my attempt. So I get to choose whether God created or whether he didn't. So this, um, there's two really big ideas out there. And that is evolution and creation. Okay? Now, evolution, at the very base line of it, is based on the assumption that there is no God. That's where it begins. Because there's no God, how did we get here? Okay? Make sense? That, that is the foundation stone of evolution and of modern science. Um, creation is based on the assumption that God is real and that the Bible is true. So that's the assumption. So we're starting with two totally opposite assumptions, which is why there's conflict. So this leaves us with a choice. Uh, if there is no God, then actually evolution is our best working theory. I just want to say that out loud. If God's not real, then evolution is actually our best working theory. And it changes because science, they're always learning new things and discovering new things and have new thoughts on stuff. The second option is that God is real and therefore God created. Okay, and the third option is that God is real and, and he used evolution as a technique, as a tool. That's the method. Okay, so science is actually the pursuit now, I'm going to do a lot of, I'm just going to read this and that, because that'll help me stay to time, all right? Because this one has lots of rabbit holes that I could get stuck down. Okay, so science is the pursuit of truth and it uses scientific method. Now, scientific method is, is really, it is based in the physical world, okay? So, it, like, it's not a, it, it doesn't really go into the spiritual world. It's really hard to test the spiritual world. It's based in the physical world, which makes sense. Now, there's two types of science. There's operational science and historical science, okay? And it's important for us to understand that they're separate. Um, 
Operational science, you start with a hypothesis. Gravity is my hypothesis. Now, I'm going to test my hypothesis uh, by letting go of this, and then we'll be able to see what the truth is. And this is, this is a test that we can run in the real world over and over and over and over and over again and see if my hypothesis is true. Okay, so that's observational science. We can observe that it happened. Okay, so that's, I, I love science, and I love especially operational science. It's fantastic. And science is wonderful. It's a wonderful gift. We've learned, we've got so many things. You know, I've, ooh, this microphone I'm speaking into is a result of science. It's wonderful. We're recording the message because we're putting it on the internet, which is just a really weird concept to understand. But it's all a gift to us from this world of science. Science is wonderful. Not saying it's not. There's another type of science called historical science, and that is uh, there were no cameras in the past. So we have to look at what is what we can see and kind of make educated guesses about what happened in the past. Okay, so that's historical science. You all with me so far? Okay. So uh, operational science can be said to be based on fact, and historical science is largely theory. But, you know, based on education, educated guesses. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Charles Darwin made this concept of the theory of evolution famous in 1859 when he wrote his book, Origin of Species. But it actually didn't start with him. You, you might not know this. It actually went all the way back to the Greeks. There's some Greek philosophers with really funny names. Uh, Anaximander and... Epidoses, probably not how you say it, but um, they actually did some writings right back, right back in the Gre Greco-Roman period. And then even Charles Darwin's granddad, Erasmus, yeah, Erasmus Darwin, he actually wrote a book called Zoonomia, which had, had um, you know, bits and pieces of evolutionary thought in it. So, uh, but Charles Darwin made it famous. And I think part of the reason that it kind of got so much traction is because that was the, the middle of the 1800s is when postmodern thinking was becoming popular. And this gave them a wonderful scientific excuse to dismiss God. That's largely what happened. Now, here's an, in, here's an interesting thing. I haven't actually read the book myself, but I, um, but I, I, I trust this source. And he said that in, in the book Origin of Species... Uh, there's a chapter that talks about the eyeball and actually just how fascinating, how complicated uh, it is. And just at the evidence of looking at the eyeball, one could assume that there was an intelligent designer. Like Charles Darwin says this. And what he says is, um, you know what, with my theory, if uh, good evidence doesn't appear in a respectable period of time, to support my theory, then you should probably dismiss it just based on looking at an eyeball. Isn't that interesting? I found that fascinating that he was humble enough to say, hey, this is a theory and it should be proven or thrown out. That was 164 years ago. I'm not sure what they mean by respectable period of time. But like I said, the world's worldview was, had an appetite to dismiss the be believing in God, which is why they embraced this so thoroughly. 
So if we do look at some evidence, for example, um, the fossil record is a really interesting one. Charles Darwin was saying, look, if I'm right about this, you're going to find the transition species, or what we nicknamed the missing links, the transition species, you know, between this animal and that animal. Um, there should be, you should find that in the, in the fossil record, which stands to reason. Now, they've been looking for these transition species for 164 years. And you know what they actually found? They found something that they've nicknamed the Cambrian Explosion. So in the Cambrian layer, which is one of the layers that they've named, they actually have found basically just about all of the animals that we're aware of can be found in that layer. Even the animals that are alive today. You know, they'll find a T-Rex and a puppy dog next to it. Like, <laughs> like it's all these... Um, all the animal species can be found in the one layer. Even just that one uh, bit of science is, for me, is fairly convincing because I'm okay with the idea of God being real. Does that make sense? And I, I, don't, I don't mean this uh, arrogantly or anything. What I'm saying is actually scientific method suggests that you should test things. Uh, and there's, there's lots and lots and lots of discussion that you could we could have around that. So science is always growing and always changing, um, and they're making new discoveries, which is fantastic. For example, a lot of scientists nowadays don't believe in the Big Bang because they're looking at the science of it now, and they're kind of going, yeah, not very feasible. In fact, the, the, um, pr what's that probability is a really, 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 really big number. I feel like they need to have more faith than I do to believe that that is a possibility. And a lot of them are actually dismissing it now. Not all of them. But a lot of sci modern scientists, secular, atheist scientists, actually have already disagreed and kind of disproven a lot of what is in scientific workbooks today in your kids' schools. A lot of it's disproven. Now, the biblical perspective in a nutshell is that God created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he was an intelligent design, and he created it on purpose. Now, I think that's, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's where we need to begin. Now, uh, again, like I said before, I don't want to just sell you my agenda or my thoughts. Um, so there's a couple of different ways to see this, and I, I, some of you have already come up and commented on, on uh, some of this stuff. There is this, so God, in, the, in Genesis, God created in six days, okay? Um, but the day, the, the word day in Hebrews is a word called yom, and yom is actually sometimes used as a 24-hour period of time, and sometimes used as an era of time. For example, the day of the horse and cart. It's not referring to a day, it's referring to a period of time. The day of the horse and cart is over, because now we have vehicles. Um, and so, I, I suppose what I'm saying is, I mean, you don't have to agree with, every th with, with me, but I do want you to agree with the Bible. Now, the Bible says he created in six days. Now, do I believe he could have done it in six days? Absolutely. 
I think he could have done it in six seconds or less. And maybe he did. Okay? But when he told this, when he, um, there's a lot of evidence to say that Genesis 1 1 to Genesis 2 3 was actually uh, written by God himself. He said, Moses, write this down exactly. And even mathematically, it's beautifully balanced. I won't go into it, but it's, it's, it's actually, it's even written in a different type of text than the rest of Moses' writings. Like, it's as if God said, write this down precisely, which is fascinating, fascinating. But God wanted to say to his people, look, I created, and it was as easy as a six-day work week. And you also need to understand, before this, they didn't have a Sabbath rest day. They worked seven days a week. And simultaneously to this was uh, the rest of the, the law was given and the Sabbath was instituted. So part of his motivation might have been that. So if, if you're someone who wants to uh, believe that actually, look, it took, some people believe that one day actually represents a whole era of time, like a millennia or whatever. Now, I don't think God needed that. Actually, if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder what Matt thinks. I actually think he did it in six days. For me, it's because I'm happy to believe that God is a miraculous God. And I think that was a miraculous week. And miracles happened. And I still believe that miracles happen today. So I don't have a problem with believing this. Now, if I get to heaven and stand before God and just ask him, hey, how long did it really take you? And he tells me something different. I'm okay with that. Like, I don't want to get arrogant and sink my heels in just with one perspective. But at the same time, the Bible says that. And I'm okay with it. And that's my perspective. And uh, we need to be getting our truth as I wrap up. Um, we won't have the music team back up. As we, as we need to be getting our truth from the Word of God. Not from social media. Not from scientists. Not from, uh, I'm not saying there's no truth in any of these things, not from the news. That person really wants to talk to me. We should be getting our truth from God. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I love science. And as I look at science, they're actually, even um, archaeology, uh, finding lots of proofs of that the Bible is true. Like they're finding all, they found Jericho, they're finding all this kind of, like it's, fan, it's awesome. But, that do, but there's a whole arm of Christians and scientists who don't want to believe in miracles. And I suppose what I'm suggesting to you today is you have to actually edit the Bible quite heavily to get rid of miracles. And there are people trying to do it. And unfortunately, in the end days, uh, which we are in, you can find any branch of Christianity that you want to agree with. And I'm not sure, I don't think that's going to be a consolation prize when you're standing before the Lord of heaven and say, oh, but, you know, this person said this. I thought that was true. Um, we need to be, have humble hearts and just purely pursue God uh, and be teachable. Do not be conformed to this world.
but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. God, we covered a lot of ground today, rather quickly. And God, I, I, I know that there's so many people here that actually want you to shape our lives the way that you want it shaped. And God, so give us humility. Give us teachability, Lord. Help us, uh, help, help us first understand that your word is the truth. And then as we look at science and, and the news and opinions in the world, help us approach them actually through your lens. And that is, they're spoken by people that you love. They're spoken by your children who you love intensely and you certainly don't want us to attack them. You want us to love them and embrace them as brothers and sisters. And Lord, even as scientists objectively look at the data and come up with thoughts, I get, I get that they've got their own thoughts before they even looked at the data. And we all love to be right. We all love to prove that what we already thought to be true. But Lord, give us your humility so that we may actually allow you to change our minds based on what you say is true, based on what you say is real. And I understand there's many different ways to interpret Scripture. But the one thing that Scripture teaches us is that we should ask you to in interpret Scripture for us. This book was written by you. The Holy Spirit inspired every word. Help us navigate it. Help us highlight the things that you think are important and actually de-highlight the things that you've not explained thoroughly. Maybe it's because you don't think they're as important as we might think they are. So, Lord, help us have your perspective. Change our worldviews to match your own. Help us mature in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not inviting the music team back up, but I'm just going to stick around here. And if, you've, if I've said something that you would like to come forward for prayer for, um, I'll make myself available. And if there's anyone else uh, from any of the leadership, um, yeah, that you, or, or, or pray with a friend. Like it doesn't have to be someone in leadership to pray with. But uh, thank you. Uh, and I hopefully I haven't offended you too thoroughly. Um, but God be with you. Thank you. Uh, come and join us for coffee and tea and stuff. Thanks. <laughs>